Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to read the Bible now, and we're going to uh, continue in our series that we began last week, again in 1 Corinthians. So if you've got your Bibles there, flick open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 6. It's going to be on the screen behind me as well. And then Ross is going to come up and speak to us. This is what God's Word says. If any of you has a dispute with another... Do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother takes another to court? And this is in front of unbelievers. We are in a series through 1 Corinthians. Ben kicked us back off last week with, after a bit of a break over Easter, but we are getting to some really kind of messy stuff for churches to talk about. So how about we pray that God might help us to process what can we learn from this? Please pray with me. Dear Father God, just thank you for your word. Thank you for this journey through 1 Corinthians, particularly for us as a church, who's trying to work out how to live for you, how do we conduct ourselves as a family. So Lord, I do pray that you'd speak to us through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a sad week this week. Uh, it was the death of Jerry Springer died this week, if you don't know Jerry Springer. Uh, if you're around in the 90s, you would be aware of the Jerry Springer show. If you weren't around... You missed out on some great stuff. He ran for 26 years, ran a show for 26 years, over 5,000 episodes, you can YouTube any of them, uh, at one point, highest rating daytime show ever, like more than Oprah, more than Days of Our Lives. Like he was the one you went to in the 90s. And the thing that, was, that his show did, if you haven't heard of the Jerry Springer show, is he tried to help out People in conflict, particularly families in conflict, probably don't think Dr. Phil, probably not that kind of show, uh, but let me give you a couple of examples. It's like the guy who got kicked out of the house from his wife and he wanted to come on the show to be reconciled with his wife so she would take him back. The problem was, though, he declared that he wanted to live in a box, that he didn't want to wear clothes anymore. And they had to sort this out. Or there, there's a guy who come on who's in a dispute with his neighbours because his neighbours wouldn't talk to his wife. How rude was that, that he wouldn't talk to his, they wouldn't talk to his wife? So they, he shares his story and brings out, they bring out his wife. He's married to a horse. And they're trying to work out how to settle this dispute. It's, they're the crazy end of things. Normal, everyday people, aren't they? Go on their show to get their disputes sorted out. But if you're aware of the show, the typical storyline is something like two sisters, they come on and they share their story and they don't, both want to share with each other. They haven't told each other before. They're in love with a, a guy. They've got a new boyfriend. And guess what? It's the same guy. 
as they talk on stage in front of seven million people watching. They realise. So what happens? A fight breaks out. The two sisters have got a fight over it because it's this guy. But hang on, they settle it down, they bring the guy out and the question is, where's the guy going to sit? Who's, who's, which girl is he going to sit beside? But he sits in a separate seat. So what happens next? The girls fight again. So there's another fight on the stage. They split them up again. So then they ask the guy, well, what are you here on the show? Which, like, which one is it? You're playing these two girls. So he then declares that actually I'm just using the girls to get to the one I really love, which is their mother. And then the mother walks out, and then there's another fight, and that usually carries on. You get the idea. That's a pic Anybody who's watched it go, that's a typical storyline, isn't it? And you can see something like that photo. The guy's just on the side, all the girls fighting. And the, it's just crazy. It's nuts. And it's, this is what makes it... I'm not sure whether I should say this publicly. This is what makes it so compelling watching. Did I say that? <laughs> Lots of people love watching it. And... Uh, it, it's great. Growing up in the 90s was so much fun, so much. It was just raw, brutal. But you've got to think, as you take a step back, what are they doing? Particularly family members bringing out their issues in front of the world, big issues. They're behaving so badly and they're hoping to get some resolution from a show like this. So what, how are they going to restore... What? What's the next day going to look like? It's just getting messier, messier, messier at the entertainment of everybody else watching. Uh, somebody called uh, Jerry Springer said um, that you, you don't learn anything from this show. You, it's not even going to benefit your life, but it's reality escapism. If you want to get away from your life for a while, you watch that. Look at somebody else's problems. Now, we laugh at that. Like, it's crazy. Who would go on a show like that? But yet, when we have conflict, how do we deal with conflict? Last week, Ben got us into 1 Corinthians again, and he had this helpful example of when we talk about the church, it's like family. And in family, families are really complicated, because in family, we're so diverse that we have people who are very vocal and people are very timid. People who like to share their opinions and people who like to bottle them up. And with that complication, us as a church, as a family, we're a complicated bunch. That it's not if you have conflict in your church, it's when you have conflict in your church. It's bound to happen. It's always going to happen. But the question is then, how are you going to handle conflict? When you have tension with a brother or sister in church, how do you handle it? How do you navigate this process? Because we get this lesson in 1 Corinthians. So it's uh, first century, this young church. It's in a city called Corinth, which is a very... Um, it's the Las Vegas of the Roman world in the first century. Like it's uh, temples. Um, there's, there's Everybody's striving for superiority to make a quick buck for prominence. Everybody's in it for themselves. And then this church arrives and these people come into the church, but they've got to start not thinking of themselves anymore, or are they? You probably gathered from the reading, they're not doing this very well. You can see, there's a couple of things to notice. Uh, the first thing, Paul's addressing chapter 6. Often in this section of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul puts the issue right up front, the first verse, which makes it easy for us. If any of you has a dispute with one another, this is the problem. It's helpful to clarify right from the get-go what sort of disputes is he talking about? Because they're not like... I need to take you to court because you've done something illegal. 
It's not, I, don't, I want to go, I need to go to the police because it's abusive. It's not that sort of abuse, it's not that sort of dispute. That stuff needs to go to the police, needs to go to court. He refers to some things here uh, at the end of verse 2, that they're trivial cases. Verse 2, verse 4, disputes about such matters. He's not talking about bigger legal stuff. We all know, if you've been around, the church has a terrible history of hiding illegal stuff. You know, the stuff about child abuse and things like that. The church has a bad history of. And they use bits of the Bible like this to go, oh, we're not going to bring it in front of the courts because the Bible says we should deal with it in-house. It's very wrong. It's, the Bible also talks about obeying the laws of the land. That's not what he's talking about. It's not big matters that uh, need to be reported. They're not police matters. He's saying they're trivial cases, disputes about these things. They're family squabbles is what he's talking about. And what he wants to show them is almost like, and he's writing to the church. He's not, this is not a public letter to all of Corinth. It's this little church in Corinth to this family. And he's going, this is the family. You need to realise what you got in the family. You need to realise, have a look at the family portrait on the wall. What do you see in the family portrait? Here's a bit of a few examples. If any of you, so he's talking to those in the church, he says, uh, end of verse 1, you are the Lord's people. Verse 2, the Lord's people will judge the world. Uh, and, uh, into verse 3, the Lord's people, or we, will judge angels. And at the end, he refers to them as believers. So those who believe in Jesus, they're in the family. He's writing to a church family like us. But what do you see when you see the family portrait? You actually see a bunch of young judges. Those who will, um, they will judge the world. They'll even judge angels. What is that about? It's the only time this is mentioned in the whole of Scripture, this whole reference to judging angels. What I think is going on here is, well, the only way I can see that it makes sense, is what he's saying is, you are so united to Jesus it's very clear throughout all Scripture. Jesus will be the ultimate judge of the world. Jesus will sit on the judgment seat judging everybody. But we are so united with Jesus, we are actually sitting on the judge's seat with him. We're that sort of intimate oneness with Jesus. As, we, uh, as he judges the world, as he is and judges angels, we'll be with him in that spot. So what is, it's very uh, a big picture of you are different to the rest of society, those not in the family. You're in the family. Look at the family portrait. You're actually a family of young judges. That's who you are. That's who you are. And what makes this whole situation crazy is you're taking your trivial matters, your family petty things, and taking it, you don't judge it in your own family, you take it outside. And how does he describe this, how ridiculous it is? In verse 1, if any of you has a dispute with one another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? You're taking it outside. In Corinth, we did an intro talk to, to Corinth way back at the start of the year. Uh, 
in the Roman planning, in the centre of the city, there's a market square where everybody come and did business, very public place. So on the outside with all the government buildings, some temples, big important stuff. On the inside ring of that were all the taverns, where all the workers come, they did their trading and drinking as well, and all the market squares, uh, all markets, trade and that. But in the centre of that is a thing called, it's a big stone called the Beamer Seat, where the judge come along, the governor of the city, would sit there and people would bring their cases for him to judge. There's a poll there, because if somebody's found guilty, they can get a public flogging right there in front of everybody. But there can be thousands of people in this marketplace. The judge is on the seat, the governor of the Romans, and people bring their cases. And if you want to justify yourself, justify your own actions to prove yourself right, why not do it publicly? It's like a Jerry Springer show. They put up, this person has done me wrong. And there's thousands of people watching to prove you right. So make it puff your chest up, make you feel better. And it feels like this Corinthian culture of being right, being prominent, standing up for my rights is so important. It's coming to the church. They might have even been taking their trivial cases to this marketplace where everybody can see. The Roman governor, he's not declaring that he's got any, he's not in the family. He doesn't want to have those Christian values. He said no to them. But it's bringing that in. So they're bringing their trivial matters, their petty family stuff, before, not before the Lord's people, but out in the public. Uh, further down, verse 4, uh, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way is scorned in the church? It's like they have different values to the church. That's why they're not in the family. This is different to last week. If you are here last week, and if you weren't here, great talk, uh, have a listen to it off the website. But there's a part of that talk where Paul's saying, uh, we judge those inside the church because we care for those into the church. What they do outside the church, they're not family, they don't have our family values, we're not to judge those outside the church. This is kind of the other way around. These people are getting inside the church, inside the church values, but getting outsiders to judge in with different values. It's like, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. Guess to the last verse, one brother takes another to court and this in front of unbelievers. It's like airing your dirty laundry, your family matters, out into the world and they're laughing at you. They're, they think you're a joke. It's Jerry Springer show all over again. So what are you doing? You need to do better. Look at the family portrait. Do you know who you are? Yeah, the people of God, and you, you're a family of young judges. You need to sort out this stuff. So what's his solution, though? What is his solution to this? Because our passage is a bit longer than this. We only had this read. Is Paul, he's got a few options here. How does he correct this behaviour in the church? He could just be the parent and go, look, you kids, you need to grow up. Just stop it. Stop the fighting. Just stop it. Or he could say, look, I know you've got issues, people have issues everywhere, maybe we set up our own little room out the back, that every church building should have a room out the back where we sort out our disputes, but we're doing it in-house, have a, every church should have a judge to sort out these, these fights. He doesn't say that either. What he says is actually really extreme. He says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and you do wrong and you do this to your brothers and sisters. What he's saying is, rather than being the one trying to get the one up, standing up for your rights, why don't you rather 
be the one being cheated than the one doing the cheating. This is, right, like, why not rather take it, be the one being put down, rather than the one trying to exalt themselves? This is so not our, might say, our default position. Because our default position is me and my rights. You can't do that. You can't treat me like that. And we get it right from when we're kids. If you remember as a kid or if you've got kids, this might be a familiar story. But I remember as a kid, we had uh, mum, dad, four kids. And in a normal car, that means three across the front, three across the back. And if you're sharing a, sharing a seat with your two big sisters either side of you, what do you do? You use the seams on the seat to go, that's your side, this is my side. Don't you overstep the line. So if they did, what do you do? Mum and Dad, they're on my side of the seat. They're, they're in, inferior, my personal space. If they touch you, their sweaty arm rubs up. Mum, they're touching me. Or what about the one? Mum, they're looking at me. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one that experienced that. But they're looking at me. They're, 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 that's not fair. Have you ever heard kids in the back, three across the back seat, go, that's all right, you can come onto my side. That's all right. You can, why don't you put up your smelly feet on my, on my lap? That's okay. It never happens, right? Because our default position is protect me. Don't come into my space. Stay away. But it's not just kids. We do that as adults as well. So our default position is to protect me. After church, we're going to have morning tea. Oh, sorry, if you didn't know what kids having fights look like in the back seat. It's not my kids. Um, we're going to have morning tea in church, uh, after church in the cube. And what happens at morning tea, if you're a coffee drinker, there's a queue like this. So you start going, oh, coffee might be nice. You get in the queue. The coffee's so the queue's so long because the coffee's so good. Because coffee's so good, the queue's so long. That you go, oh, I feel like a coffee, join the queue. By the time you get to the front of the queue, you go, oh, man, I was getting the coffee headache, you know, I really need my fix now. And then you've got to wait for the coffee, because the coffee's so good, it takes time to make. And you're waiting for this coffee, and you go, oh, man, I'm really starting to get a bit toey here, I really need my coffee. And then what do you see? Somebody else gets served before you. I'm sure they were after me. Have you had that thought? Or is this just me? I, I'm sure they were after me. I need my coffee. So our default position is, this is injustice. There's got to be an inquiry about this. I was here first. Why don't I get my stuff before them? But what Paul's saying, it's, re, it's so radical. It's why not rather be wronged? Would you be the, rather be the one jumping the queue or would you be the, rather be the one going, no, I'd rather be the one having to wait, let everybody else go before me. I'd rather be um, taking the second best so you can go in front of me. That's radical. It's not our default position, is it? So why does he say this? How can he expect us to take this position, especially when it's a bit more serious than sitting in a car seat or drinking coffee? What if it's things like gossip? I'd rather be the one gossiped about rather than the one involved in the gossip. See, this gets a little bit more serious. I would rather be the one who's wronged rather than the one doing the wrong. 
to choose that position. This is like, what are you asking us to do here? Why would we do it? How would we do it? This is radical. This is where Paul goes on. He's had a look at the family portrait. Now he pulls out the family photo album. He's, remember, he's talking to those in the church. He says, this is our family photo album. Gather round. The first, before I open the family photo album, he says, do you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? That makes sense. This is in the family. We have family values. We don't want those people out there in the, in the kingdom of God because they're wrongdoers. So as people, we're in the family, hold to Christian values, trust in Jesus. We're the ones inside. Okay, let's turn the page in the family portraits. Let's have a look to see pictures of you guys. Don't be deceived, he says. Neither will a sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Can you imagine the mood in the room there? Family photo. This is before they met Jesus. This, hey, isn't this so-and-so? All the skeletons come out of the closet in this family gathering looking through the photos because he says, and this is what some of you were. Have a close look. Hey, this is so-and-so. Look what he's doing. And anybody who says, oh, yeah, I'm not on that list. I'm a good guy. Well, you're probably the swindler who tells lies and cheats because we're all there. We've all got a history. We've all got these skeletons. He's going, this is you guys. Family portrait on the walls hanging there, group of young judges. But this is you guys in the past. This is what some of you were. How did you get into the family? How did you get to be here? It wasn't that you went up to the family door, that you're on the outside of the family. You went up, I'd love to be a part of this family. Go up to the door and you see the bunch of rules going, well, don't be an adulterer. Don't be an idolater. Don't be all these things. This don't be, don't be, don't be. And then you're allowed in. It's like, well, I've got to work on a few things and now I'm allowed in. That's not what happens. To be a part of the family, Paul goes on, this is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. When you walked up to the front door and wanted to become part of this family, you didn't have a birthright. You didn't have a birth certificate to say, I was born into the kingdom of God. No, no. Remember what you were? We saw the photos. You couldn't even be good enough to be in this family. But notice the language of this verse 11. It's passive when Paul's talking to the people. As in, you didn't do it. There's no action that you did that makes you a part of the family, but somebody else did it for you. You were washed. And it's worthwhile just thinking about these words because they're very specific. You were washed. What does that mean? The Bible uses this kind of metaphor to talk about our heart, when our heart pursues sin, when our heart pursues the uh, values that are not consistent with God, that is sin, we do things that we shouldn't be doing, it's stained. And the only way to remove that stain, we can't do it ourselves, but through the blood of Jesus, through his death on the cross, he takes our sin, washes our heart clean. So last week we had the baptisms here. Fantastic story of three people coming to know Jesus, declaring their faith in Jesus. And at that time, when they put their faith in Jesus, their heart is washed clean. But when we baptise them, we use water as a symbol, just to remind us, washed clean. 
and it's water over the head or it's full dunk, it doesn't matter. It's the waters that, just to remind, it's a sign. This person is washed clean. They're a new person. They're not the person that has the, on the outside of the family on them all, anymore. They're on the inside, thanks to Jesus. Nothing that they did. It's because Jesus washed them clean. Let's celebrate that together publicly as a church family. Just show some water to show these are new people having their sin washed clean. The Bible says our sins removed as far as the east is from the west. Our sin is so far from us. It's got rid of forever. We are washed. He says you are sanctified. Uh, that's another word that's um, religious jargony sort of word. But what does it really mean? Well, in the context of this, it's certainly, if you were washed clean, if you were saved from your sin, what are you saved for to do? What are you saved to do? And that's to worship God. So it's to be like Jesus. So if you're in the family now, let's start living like you're in the family. Let's taking on God's values. He's our father. This is how the household works. Let's start. So we've got a clean heart and sanctification is this journey of now it's starting to work out in my life. It's not from me trying harder, although we do need to try to, to live that godly life, say no to sin and all that stuff. But it's actually Jesus, the one, and through his spirit, it says afterwards, that is the one that's enabling us to do it. The fact that we desire to be children of God, desire to live as children of God, even that desire is from God himself. Jesus did that for you. As you are sanctified, you are justified. That's, a, that's a, um, a legal sort of term that they would use. If you're put on trial, you're either found guilty or innocent. It's justified. Your actions are ju were justified. They weren't illegal. So to be declared justified is claimed you are innocent. There is nothing guilty about what you've done. Now, we all know, he's talking to a room full of people. He's just looked at the family photo album. He's just looked at all the skeletons in our closet. But he goes, you know what? Because Jesus justified you, because of what Jesus did on the cross in taking your sin, so you're washed clean, you've got no sin at all, you know what God's going to see on that day of judgment when he looks at you? Let's look at the family photo album. What do we see of Ross? Oh, I know Ross has been a bit of a rack bag. Let's look at his old photos. What skeletons are in the closet here? Guess what photos he's going to see? Nothing. Those photos won't be there, thanks to Jesus. Because through Jesus, I'm justified. You're justified. There's no record of the wrongs. We're declared innocent because of Jesus. I'm a new person. We are new people because of Jesus. We, that's what some of you were, but now something big's happened. This is a big but, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, not because of you, but because of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God, because He did it for you. He did it for you. That's significant. That changes who we are. It changes us, because now we've experienced God's compassion, His patience, We've experienced God's grace. We've experienced God's forgiveness through this journey. Through this journey. And because we've experienced it, because of Jesus, and Jesus, this is not words for Jesus. We see this in Jesus' life, that Jesus who did no wrong was punished for our wrongs. So get that? 
Instead of Jesus saying, standing up for his rights, he says, I would rather be the wrongdoer. Oh, sorry, I would be the one receiving the wrong. Um, I'd rather be wronged. That's it. I'd rather be wronged than doing the wrong. Jesus did no wrong, but he paid the death for our wrongs. I would rather be cheated, and he was cheated, than being the cheater. Jesus did that. And in doing so, that enables us to, from outsiders to insiders. We can be a part of the family because of Jesus. So we know what it feels like to be sitting in the dock. Paul showed us the, the photo album, the book of skeletons. We know what it's like to be sitting in the dock, to be, no, we've done stuff we shouldn't have done, that we are guilty. But we know what it's like to receive God's patience. We know what it's like to see, receive his grace. We know what it's like to receive his forgiveness. We know what it's like. We know what it's like to receive all those things. We know what it's like to be outside of the family. But when we knock on the door and Jesus does that for us, we are welcomed in as long-lost family members. Welcome back with big hugs. God is there with open arms for us. We know what that's like. We've experienced. So when, so when we're in situations, when we're having our family squabbles, we've experienced grace. We've received patience. We've received forgiveness. We start picking up the culture of Jesus. What did Jesus say to his people? He says, when you pray, and he told them the Lord's Prayer, what's a part of the Lord's Prayer? Father, forgive me as I forgive others. If we want God to forgive us, we need to have that culture of forgiving others with that patience, with that grace, with the forgiveness. Jesus, lying down on the cross. Man, he's got to be cranky, right? What have I done to deserve this? Getting nails punched through his hands into the timber and what does he say to his father god father forgive them so i would rather be wronged by these guys but he does it to show patience grace forgiveness for the guys even putting the nails through his hands jesus does that he says this is the culture of the family this is how we behave this is how we conduct ourselves this is, we know what it feels like for Jesus to do it us. We can do it with others. When we've experienced it, we don't settle our disputes by standing up for my rights. We certainly don't do it out on the streets. But we do it the way Jesus taught us to. So in a few moments, I'm going to invite you up for, if you want to participate in the Lord's Supper. And that's for believers to go, I remember what Jesus did for me. And he's washing, he washed my sins away. And I'm going to continue to look back on that moment and remember what he's done. We're going to do that in a few moments. But there's a couple of things I want to, we just need to wrap up a little bit more. Because there might be issues that we have here that has been, burdening us issues like gossip either we've been a part of a gossip thing about somebody else that actually we might need to have conversations to ask forgiveness for we might be victims of gossip that i know they've been talking about i know they've slandered me in some sort of way there might need to be conversations about hey did you really say that or i was really hurt by that but those conversations are done not to stand up for my rights, but with patience, with grace and forgiveness. 
So that's the culture in God's, God's family. We might need to... What Paul's saying is don't just sweep these... Don't, don't just pretend that nothing happens. No, no, but you deal with it as brothers and sisters. It might be other matters that have hurt us. To be the one to say, I choose to be the one that's a victim, that to be the one that's being hurt rather than the one doing the hurt, doesn't mean it just goes away or pretends. It still hurts us. That might need conversations with other people to go, how do I deal with this? How do I handle this? Again, it might need conversations, conversations with patience, with grace and forgiveness. But that's the tone. That's the tone of our conversations with each other. It's not a matter of if we have conflict, it's when. It's just what we do with that. It's how we deal with it. It's going to be really important in how we do that. I mean, take that from Jesus. Now, there's just one other thing I want to mention because there was a big curly thing in this passage that we talked about last week in our growth group. Of this, this verse in verse um, 9 there has been used by churches to throw it out. If you're around the Israel Falau thing, hey, this is a great verse to to throw out on Instagram for the whole world to see they're wrong and I'm right. Well, that's how it can come across. Now, there's a couple of things, to, there's lessons here. There's a whole lot of cultural moments in these chapters we're going to hit over the next few weeks. This is one of them. To go, hang on, is this a verse that we should be throwing out into the public to, to condemn them for their sin and they'll repent to God. That's, that's the theory. But it's actually handling Scripture very wrong. And I just want to spend just a moment on this. That you've got to look at the context. What's Paul do, what's Paul, who's Paul writing to? Who's his audience? Is it the public? Is, is this a speech Paul gives on the street corner? Say, listen up everybody, you bunch of sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, all that sort of stuff. Paul doesn't do that. He never does that. He says a similar thing about three times in three different letters and he's always to Christians. It's always to the church family. This is not our behaviour, he's saying. This is not our values as the family of God. So to actually say this is for outside, Paul's already said earlier, outside the family don't hold the same values as inside. So why would we use something spoken to us to hold the world accountable to? Last week, it was mentioned in the passage, God will hold them accountable. It's not our job to hold the world accountable for stuff like that. It's also not a surprise when the world reacts badly to Christians or the church for throwing stuff like this out at them because they don't hold the same values. It just shows... Ben used the illustration that his, last week as his family had to wear shirts at the dinner table. Sorry to bring that up, Ben. I still think it's funny. Um, why would you walk around on the beach telling everybody to wear shirts if they're eating? It's like, you're crazy. We don't hold your family values. Why would we try to tell them? If they get upset at us and think we're crazy, yeah. Paul's not doing that. We shouldn't either. Paul has other, there's other parts of Scripture, like Acts 17, where Paul is basically preaching on the street. Have a look at those sermons. It's not like this. So just be careful how we use scripture, how we communicate that, point the finger on outsiders, because that's what Paul's saying not to do, not to do. I just thought that needed to be covered because it, um, it has caused up a lot of trouble about five years ago and can still do. But we need, because Paul's pointing out inside the church, the church family, we need to take this passage seriously. Because we know we 
We've got skeletons in our, the old photo album, but that's not who we are now. Thanks to Jesus, we're washed, we're sanctified, we're justified. So what we're going to do now is we're going to have Lord's Supper. And what this is, is um, when the night before Jesus was taken to the cross, he explained what he was doing on the cross to his disciples, where he had bread and juice as part of the Passover meal, and he held the bread up and he broke the bread and said, this is my body which is given for you. Basically saying, I'm going to be the one sacrificed so you can live. I'm going to be the one shedding my blood so that you might have true life. But what he said in explaining what was going to happen on the cross, he also instructs them to continue to do it. Always look back at what I did for you. It's this moment. Remember what you were like, but thanks to Jesus, we're washed, sanctified, justified. We're looking at that moment, what we were and what Jesus has made us into, if we're believers. We're also looking for the forward for the time he's coming back to judge the world but if we trust in him we've got nothing to fear he's going to take us home so that's something we long to long to see long to be a part of now this is for believers if you believe in jesus uh you're invited to the table is the phrase to, to participate but if you're here today and not sure about Jesus, like, that's okay. I'm so glad you're here. This is a bit of an in-house sort of talk, but it's like, I hope you understand a little bit about Scripture now and the values and why Christians hold to the values they do. And it is so contrary to the world. I hope that's become clear today. But feel free not to participate. It's all good. But you don't have to be a Southsider. You don't have to be a member if you're visiting and you say, yes, I cling to the cross of Jesus for my identity, for who I am, for life. I want to participate. Uh, you can do that now. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a few minutes. I think it's just really important for us to, um, to participate, to actually get up off our seat, to come and uh, grab one of these cups. We are using the, um, yeah, you know the ones. You'll, you'll know when you taste it. Um, we are using those. But what I'm asking you to do is come when you're ready, grab one of these cups. In the lines, just reflect on... I remember what I, what I was, but I'm also so thankful what Jesus did and I, I'm thankful that he's the person he's making me into. So come, grab a cup, sit down, and we're going to wait for everybody to, to be seated again. Then we're going to eat and drink together because sharing a meal as a, as a family is a good thing to do. So uh, I'm going to pray now and uh, invite you to come up. Dear Father God, just thank you. Thank you for your great love for us. In this passage that on first reading looks so judgmental, it is so full of grace, so full of the sign of your patience with us that when we make mistakes, that you still love us. It reminds us of the great forgiveness that you've given to us. Lord, that is a very personal thing that we've all been on a journey with. So I thank you the way you've worked in each of our lives. But Lord, we also want to confess to you that sometimes we don't treat our family like we should. Our brothers and sisters here, easy to get caught up in gossip it's easy to be the one demanding our rights rather than the one being wronged so lord i just pray for us if that means having further conversations lord please bless those conversations let them be encouraging let them restore relationships but lord, give us the courage to do that and to live out that christ-like sanctification that you've given to us lord thank you for the opportunity to have this discussion as a church family and we do pray that you bless this time as we reflect on what you've done for us through the cross, through the Lord's Supper. Amen.